Hello, and welcome back to the What If Studios podcast, where we do some funny fictionalized dramatizations, as well as just talks on culture, on tech, on pretty much anything that comes to mind. So yeah, it's fun. So there's snow on the ground outside. I'm here in Atchison, Kansas. While I was back home in Rockford, Illinois, uh, got to spend time with family, celebrated Christmas, had a bunch of cousins, aunts and uncles, friends over. I was talking to my one cousin, Alex, and we were talking about Mike's, and he suggested one that might be good for podcasting, so I'm going to try and follow up with that eventually. Um, also got to go with uh, the Frews, uh, this one family of friends, and we went and saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse over break. Um, I really enjoyed it, actually. Like, I was going into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this movie is going to be so stupid. Stupid. And I sat through it, and I had a good couple of laughs. You know, it had emotion, it had character development, even though, you know, it's all about spider people. It, it actually still had some of that, and I was quite impressed, actually, with the animation, uh, the storytelling, uh, elements of comic relief. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I also noticed there's some shameless promoting uh, of Sony products. You know, this is a Sony animated picture, and, like, uh, if you look close enough, at the headphones the main character is wearing in one scene and when he looks up at a building you look at the side of it and it says Sony in big letters on the side of it so um, but hey I mean self-promotion whatever so today I'd actually like to ramble on for you know however long about anthropomorphism Yes, anthropomorphism. And yeah, I don't think I actually said that the right way the first time I tried saying it out loud either. Um, so what is anthropomorphism? Well, we actually see it a little bit even in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We actually see it with Spider-Ham. Why do we see it with Spider-Ham? Well, he's an animal character with human attributes. So it is an expression of anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism, if you use your handy-dandy Google search engine, will tell you it is the attribution of human traits, emotions, or intentions to non-human entities. It's considered to be an innate tendency of human psychology. And I would probably agree with that because if you examine like pretty much all of like the ancient mythologies, of the pagans in ancient history, you will see this anthropomorphism where like you have these human figures and yet they have animal characteristics. So like it's hard to tell, you know, if they're trying to represent, you know, this type of creature or if they're trying to represent a person or, you know, a deity or whatever. Um, but we see anthropomorphism so much in just the past half century of uh, cinematography uh, and pop culture, particularly um, in animated film, I would say. 
and when you look up anthropomorphism the very first image it gives you here at least for me is an image of the sloth from Zootopia came out a few years ago and actually quite a few of the anthropomorphic characters that it lists you know are you know other super common Disney animated characters such as Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, who's Goofy, yeah. And we can find anthropomorphism in so many films. I mean, and some of them are like really my favorite too. I mean, you think about it, um, I was in the gym the other day and, you know, caught part of Kung Fu Panda 3. And so that's all anthropomorphism. It's not even like, you know, um, the Madagascar DreamWorks series where like, oh, they're animals like in the human world. In Kung Fu Panda, it's the whole world, you know, it's China, you know, or whatever. And it's all animals. People are non-existent. So it's like this extreme uh, instance of anthropomorphism. I, I will say anthropomorphism can make for some really interesting, fun storylines. Because, I mean, if you're not going to use humans as your main characters, I mean, what's the next best thing? Like, you're going to jump to, you know, mammals like a panda, like a fox, like a mouse, I guess, even, you know. Um, Steamboat Willie and all that we're seeing anthropomorphism in many Hollywood animated feature films of late you know especially like you think about some of your dog movies even if it's not animated um, you know they have the little voices inside the dog's heads or like the dog's mouths start moving you know and like they're talking English or whatever language you have it set to and um, they're trying to put the human world into the doggy dog world and sometimes that can be interesting as in like you know homeward bound um and other times it can be just downright stupid or like you know a super great um example of anthropomorphism aside from you know zootopia or homeward bound um can be found in the secret life of pets again you know it's this whole subculture uh, of everything these animals are doing, which is very human-like, you know, partying, you know, having emotions such as jealousy, you know, uh, and all this. Like, in animals really don't get jealous. They might get very protective, you know, over something they enjoy. But again, like, um, romantic love or true admiration, you know, is expressed by some of these characters in these animated films it's like you know an animal truly can't experience or present that but once again like most animals can't talk like people either except for parrots I guess um, so I mean when you're in a fictional movie you, you gotta whenever you're watching a movie you gotta remember that you know it's not real even if they say it's based on a true story I don't know why I said that because I don't think there are any true stories based on dogs being jealous and talking to people. I don't know. I'm sure Disney will fix that one of these years. So if we take anthropomorphism and recognize, you know, its fantastical elements in uh, fictional stories such as films and particularly animated films, we can start to enjoy the fact that 
uh, quite a few animated films about animals, you know, having these animal characters actually have better character development than a lot of, you know, big live-action Hollywood films nowadays. And it's, it's actually, in a way, it's kind of sad, but I'm, I'm at least glad that some films, you know, are still presenting some amount of, like, clear, thought-out character development. And, like, this can be found, I, I would say, in Zootopia. Like, there is a clear, like, goal set for her, the main character, and the bunny. And she, she just keeps working towards it, and she learns, you know, on the job. She, you know, goes through different experiences, makes new friends, and adjust she adapts you know and it's actually leading somewhere you know um and zootopia is not like the best example of it but like it's still a, a fair example um i have been a fan of many of the madagascar films you know even uh they might throw in some crass stuff but like most of the time they're they're really funny um and so like i liked madagascar 3 um, and Madagascar 2. Madagascar 1, the first Madagascar film seemed more of a parody on, like, just about every film and, like, used music from, like, just about everything. So it's actually interesting that it was successful since it, like, parodied so many different things. But for my dad, my brother, and I, like, what makes the movies entertaining and interesting is always, you know, the penguins of Madagascar and they want to go back to Antarctica in the first film having like this this human desire to like we we need to go back you know we need to go back home you know we, we don't belong here you know and they like they they devise this whole plan and like they you know again extreme anthropomorphism they end up being uh, significantly smarter than most of the humans in the story uh, frequently knocking them out you know knocking them unconscious and you know stealing entire cargo shipments and again in the first madagascar like you have this human-like representation of like these different tribes on madagascar like you have this carnivorous tribe you have like this stupid tribe that's following king julian you know the the lemurs and then you have you know these four newcomers and of course like any animated animal movie is going to have to thrive off anthropomorphism if it's of any length and they want any character development because uh, the characters need to have dialogue and so to have that and have the characters be animals I mean it's anthropomorphism right there um, eventually you know the penguins of Madagascar got their own movie which took uh, kind of anthropomorphism to the next level of creepy where Dave the octopus the evil villain of the film uh, is able to make himself look human when he's really not and it's, it's pretty creepy and a lot of these anthropomorphic animated you know so called children's films uh, really present a lot of action occasional you know drama and, and just a lot of hard hitting you know comedy um, which I think is why they're so appealing to, you know, a wider 
more general audience, you know, of pretty much any age. And, like, there's so many other films that use this, like, uh, apart from the Madagascar franchise, like, you have Open Season, okay, with the bear and the deer and the wiener dog who has no self-control, you know. You know, another one of my favorite animated film franchises, Ice Age, thrives off of anthropomorphism. I mean, after the first Ice Age film, there's no people in it except for, like, Santa Claus in the Christmas special, and I don't really know if he counts. But it's all about, you know, mammoths and sloths saber-toothed tigers. And, you know, why do I like Ice Age? I mean, I like the music. I like John Powell's compositions. I mean, that that's kind of like the lesser end of it. But, like, I do like, you know, just the idea of, you know, three dudes just around trekking, you know, and then, like, the one gets a family, and then, like, by the fourth film, Diego finally gets a girlfriend. It's about time. Plus, I really liked the introduction of, you know, that character, voiced by Jennifer Lopez. And then, eventually, eventually, Sid finally gets a girlfriend. You know, this this goal he's been striving for desperately since the very first film finally comes to fruition in the fifth one that we saw. And then we got Neil deGrasse Tyson narrating a weasel inside another weasel's mind. You know? weird baloney stuff like that and like uh, again like with the examples of anthropomorphism like it's so obvious like literally the name for neil degrasse tyson's character is neil degrasse weasel so i mean it, it's a very non-original name so er everybody gets it you know who can't love scrat the mindless squirrel who's absolute idiot chasing his nut across the countryside the world and in the latest film the entire galaxy perhaps the entire universe who knows you know looney tunes looney tunes also builds off anthropomorphism significantly you know in characters such as you know daffy duck and like there's even a reference to the pig in spider-man into the spider-verse Spider-Ham says right before he leaves, you know, that's all, folks. It, it was pretty good. I would suggest going and seeing that movie. I, I liked it. Um, but we also find anthropomorphism significantly in, like, classical works of literature, believe it or not. Like, Black Beauty, the novel is seriously narrated by none other than the horse. So... The horse gives this whole narrative on its life, you know, like the horse, you know, must have taken up journaling, you know, at some point in its life. And you're like, how does it hold a pencil? And like, but that's beside the point. Maybe, you know, the horse is being interviewed. Who knows how we got the story, but, and we see it in Narnia, obviously, like, you know, all the, all the talking animals in Narnia, such as, you know, Aslan, the beavers, and even the horses there, you know. And we even, you know, get hints of the anthropomorphism in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, regarding Middle-earth, such as Smaug, the dragon, and the hobbit. He's this very covetous creature with cruel instincts. 
and a hard to suppress ego which Bilbo actually you know feeds in an attempt to stay alive longer which he succeeds in doing other places we find you know popular anthropomorphism include another DreamWorks animated saga Shrek you know the donkey and other animal characters and then like the spin-off you know I, I actually enjoyed Puss in Boots, the animated movie, better than I enjoyed pretty much all of the Shrek films. Antonio Banderas is great as Puss. Plus, I'm kind of a cat guy myself, so you find anthropomorphism in Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, where the main characters are fish, you know, but with all these human emotions and desires, aspirations thoughts, ideas. Ratatouille. It's seriously about a rat. Disney made a popular blockbuster animated feature about a rat. So that kind of tells us pretty much we can do anthropomorphism on just about anything and we'll watch it. The Lion King, a classic for all time. Not the live action remake, which isn't live action but the original animated classic, it, uh, it's a really good example of anthropomorphism and it's just, it's a good musical and it's uh, got a fond place in my heart, so it's a good one. Chicken Run, oh my gosh, with Mel Gibson as the main chicken and all the chickens consciously knowing that they're going to be baked into pies and not wanting to be baked into pies. Even older animated Disney films have like this basis revolving around cute, fuzzy mammalian creatures such as 101 Dalmatians, Bambi for goodness sakes, The Jungle Book, which has been retold over and over and over and over again. And, you know, we don't see anthropomorphism just in animals, you know, it's applied easily elsewhere, like, you know, another prime Disney example is Beauty and the Beast, where the one guy is turned into, like, this, you know, creature, some subhuman creature dominated by his anger, and his friends are all turned into trinkets. Uh, granted, animated trinkets, but, um, or quote-unquote living uh, things, you know, but these aren't animals, and yet this is another example of anthropomorphism where we're taking these objects and now applying human attributes to them. So, you know, you have the clock, you have uh, the French candlestick, you know, you have all these various characters who have these human characteristics now so pretty much we've we've concluded like anthropomorphism can be applied story-wise to practically anything but what are some of the effects that anthropomorphism might have on society or culture or individuals and audience as a whole well I think if you stay in the right mindset, like anthropomorphism 
you know, modern anthropomorphism can be no big, no big dealio. But you have to have reached, you know, the age of reason, I would say. So the problem I could see in young children watching animated feature films based all around animal characters is that their moral development might align human beings and animals or even inanimate objects to be on the same level of dignity or superiority, like there would be no superiority whatsoever. Or the children could be being sent these subliminal messages informing them that, you know, animals have minds very similar to our own that have like these higher thinking capabilities as well as, you know, emotional attachments and like these aspirations. No child should actually grow into adulthood thinking that a rabbit goes about her day striving to be a police officer. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, kids will grow up with that, but there will be some hint, some residue, I would assume, left of this notion that animals and people are pretty much on a par, you know, with one another, with capabilities and dignity and how they live out their lives i don't i don't think that is a message that should be sent to young impressionable minds so you might think that's a little bit harsh and it's not like i'm like oh you can't watch that film like i'm not really gonna do that i'm just saying it'd be something interesting to keep an eye on and watch out for but as a rule, anthropomorphism, uh, to a certain extent, in entertainment, should not have any super extreme effects. At least I would hope not. Because I still like Ice Age and the Penguins of Madagascar. So thanks again for listening to What If Studios podcast. Um, this is our third episode, hoping to bring you more. Just uh, FYI, every other episode we're alternating. So like our last episode was a fictional dramatization. This episode was just a chat series with myself. Eventually we'll try and get uh, some additional guests on. So this was our non-fictional episode. So the next episode we'll bring you will actually be a fictional dramatization of some sort. The last episode we did that was fiction, you can check out. It was a remake of Orson Welles' dramatization back in 1938 of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. So we kind of did a re-representation of that. That was really fun. So please give us a like, give us a follow. Hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you, thank you, and goodbye.